very good. Um, <clears throat> could I ask you just in our, to welcome Lisa up as we start our next round of interviews? <laughs> you doing you all right? Okay. He's done, Okay, so um, most of you will be familiar with Lisa standing at the front, but I'll just ask her to tell us a wee bit more about herself. Hi guys, how are you? <laughs> Anybody else nervous? Um, I was thinking that um, it's just easier to come up and sing to you, but no, <laughs> you want to know a bit about me. So um, <laughs> you're not going to sing. Um, I'm Lisa. I am married to a great man called Dan. I've been married for about 10 years now. Um, I have three kids. Grace, who's eight, who um, personality-wise is kind of like a mini version of me, so it's a bit like rearing myself, which is interesting. Uh, Harry is six, um, and Ben is three, and they're just the spit of their dad. Um, I am a physio. I work in Craigavon. I work on the acute wards, but I'm still rotational. So at the moment I'm on gynae, but I'll be moved at some stage and work my way around all of the wards. Um, I'm only just back to work. I took an extended period off after having the kids. Um, and so probably haven't worked much in the last eight years, but got back a couple of months ago and it's, it's going okay. I've remembered how to be a physio again, which is good, handy. Okay. Yeah, so that's Thank me. You. I think you've probably done more work than you think you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what's your church background, Lisa, and how do you find yourself coming to Emmanuel? Um, I grew up in Church of Ireland um, in a family who loved Jesus. And um, I came a, a Christian really well as a small child, I don't even remember. But as I kind of grew up, probably through my teenage years, maybe through um, difficult family circumstances, um, exams, different things, I sort of just lost my way and didn't really develop a relationship with you know, more mature relationship with God. Um, but it wasn't until um, I was married and um, we were having difficulties starting a family and I was just in a really difficult place. I just thought, gosh, you know, all the stuff I'd learned growing up, you know, you can always talk to God. Came um, back to God, really just wanted to find him again, did the Alpha course through CFC and then made a recommitment to God then. Um, we moved out of Belfast about five years ago um, and we were looking for a new church so um, we reconnected with Matt and Catherine and we're just really pleased that they kind of invited us along to Vineyard one day and we were just really really at home home there so then we've just journeyed across from Vineyard and it's been great yeah love the move. Well have you any particular burden or passion within church? I think that's an obvious question <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I know um it was an easy one and actually ended up being on worship this morning as well. So it's hard looking at me. But yeah, my big passion is worship. I just love singing and I sing all the time. I think one of Ben, my three-year-old's first sentences was, no more singing, mummy, um, which was rather disappointing. <laughs> but ever since I became a Christian, I just find myself in worship um, just all the time, having it on in the car, just anything I could get my hands on and then eventually discovered um, Apple Music, which just means that we're all at my fingertips, which is brilliant. Um, so, But I haven't um, always sang at the front. I have done since we moved, but I only even got back into um, singing again about two years ago. Um, I really, really felt God telling me, you know, you should get into singing again. And I only sang as a child and sort of didn't take it on into adulthood. Once I went to university, I left it behind and just couldn't really believe that God was prompting me because I just sort of thought, I know I can hold a tune, but I don't know what I can really give to worship in church, you know, because you have to be good to stand at the front. You have to be confident. And I didn't feel any of those things. Um, and he kept prompting me and prompting me. And I almost started to feel like I was becoming disobedient. Um, 
And I just said, Lord, if, if this is something you think I can do, please just give me like a kick up the bum about it, please. You know, just give me a clear sign. And about 30 seconds later, Katie Leach, um, Chris's daughter, was sitting in front of me in worship in Vineyard. And she turned around to me in the middle of worship and said, do you know, are you in the worship team? And she's, I mean, what age was she then? Like eight or something. Um, and I says, no. And she's, well, you should be because you've got a good voice. And I was just blown away. I was like, right. So went kind of shaking to Johnny and said, oh, I feel like I should help out, but I don't know how I'm going to help out. And I don't know if I'm good enough. And he's like, oh, just come to the next practice. And that was it. Then I started, um, got back into singing lessons again and realized I, I had no idea how to harmonize. Can't hear music in that way. So did an online uh, worship course to learn how to harmonize. And yeah, just haven't really stopped since. Kind of did my grade five music exam in April, just loved it. And trying to push myself more and more in, um, in that direction. And I've sort of um, working with a musical theater company this summer to do just a show with, you know, all sorts of different music from different musicals. Um, but just to kind of push myself in that direction because I do feel God has something in that for me. So. Sort of answering yeah. the next one, but <coughs> but um, at the same time, there's nothing like that as to what God's doing in your life right now and what way you're moving forward in that. Um, so this last year, I did the Ignite course, which I'll give it a wee extra plug. We didn't do that this morning. It is amazing. And having coming out of like a bit of a baby bubble of being at home with the kids all the time, I felt like I needed something that was going to be time for me with no other responsibilities other than just getting to know God again in a real deep, deeper way. And because I'm at the front and I'm singing, I just felt this responsibility of working on my own relationship with him. So through the Ignite course, I mean, I just discovered who he was as my father and my identity in him, but also really felt like he's kind of guiding me towards evangelism. And um, that scares me a lot. Uh, but I've kind of seen how God goes before you and to t be courageous and step out of your comfort zone, you know, um, great things can come from it. So um, I'm hoping in September to start with Aspire um, and just getting to, you know, work with kids from, you know, low, so low uh, socioeconomic uh, community. I mean, I growing up, um, I didn't have a lot of opportunities by way of after school activities and to be able to go to singing lessons th and things like that. And I just feel like God has something in that for me. Um, that th singing is so therapeutic. It's so good for your mental health. And um, I'm just, I'm only really starting to join the dots. So I don't have an answer for you exactly of what's in the future other than I would love prayer in that direction and what God has for me, you know, <laughs> so. It's almost like you know the next question is coming. <laughs> I know. So what can, how can we best pray for you? <laughs> yeah, just, the, God will just continue to go before me, um, even if I can't see where the path leads to, that he's put this skill in me, and I just want to be able to use it for his glory. Um, and I know it's going to be more than just, it's important to sing at the front, it's important to lead worship from wherever you're sitting in church, um, but just I want to take that out to to people who don't know him, kids who don't know him, and um, just use me in whatever way he he thinks best. Super. Thanks, Lisa. Um, just going to pray for you now. But anybody else you'd like to stretch out your hands and pray for Lisa? That'd be great. Heavenly Father, just want to thank you for Lisa's passion, for the fact that she knows exactly what you have put in her heart, and that she's pushing forward, knocking doors, and stepping into areas and rooms and places that um, 
at first are very uncomfortable for. But Lord, I just ask for you to empower her with your Holy Spirit and that um, strength, that courage, that bravery that she's already shown and that you help her to continue to do that and continue to see what road that is that you've put her on. And Lord, I just get this impression that there's so much more that's going to come out of that and this is very much the beginning of a journey. And I just pray for that courage to continue and I pray for that um, bond with her friends and family in order to encourage that and see that and just to help her into all that she is going to be in you and all that you have planned for her. We ask this in your name. Amen. Um, Trevor, would you like to come up? And I'd like to... I'd like to pray for you, Trevor, before you start. (laughs) You have to earn yours. (laughs) Just going to pray for Trevor before he starts. Yes. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Trevor and ask that you speak through him this morning, that you have settled on his heart what it is you want to say to us. Lord, give him the courage and conviction to say that, the soft, gentle nature in which to bring that across, if needed and not, if required. Lord, give us that softness of spirit to hear that, that strength and courage to grab something that may not be easy to hear or maybe challenging, or maybe poking something that's irritating us. Lord, but help us to respond, and help us to hear. Guide Trevor as he does this. In your name, amen. 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 Bless you, Norman. Amen. I've been sitting down there worrying how I'm going to fit up here. I'm thinking, I'm a big lad, and I'm going to rack the place. So hopefully the keyboard will stay where it is. It's good to be here. And for Lisa and all those others who have been interviewed, I just want to remind you something, that last summer I was interviewed, and I've got this job this year. So, good luck. (laughs) Good luck. All the best to you. You only think you're nervous now. Colin Ford only thinks he was petrified. I'm sure you've realised by now that uh, Alan has given different people different words or titles to work with on our whole theme of worship. And Stephen was very helpfully giving you a wee revision of that this morning, the beginning. I wondered, were you listening? Does anybody remember what those funny words are that we've learned so far? Say, no takers, you're not sure at all. Funny words, Hebrew words. Yada was what Alan talked about. Toda is what Brona talked about. And this morning I'm talking about Shabbat. They're getting worse, aren't they? I wonder if you said those together. Yada, Toda, Shabbat. Kept saying it. Yada, Toda, Shabbat. Kept getting faster. Realize at the end of this course you'll be speaking in tongues. Never mind worship. The word, I'll, this, the word that I have been given is Shabak, with a subtitle of worship as our primary form of warfare. Worship as our primary form of warfare. And that title, the word warfare, caught me because that assumes then that we're in a battle. And I realized that, you know, we come in here and we come from a battle. Brona kind of was on this theme last week as well. 
Life can be a battle. It's not always easy. In fact, if we're really honest, it's more difficult, more often difficult than it is easy. We fight those battles, and those battles vary in their, in their magnitude and in their intensity. One minute, everything seems to be okay, and the next thing, it all goes haywire. Next thing, we get a, a meeting with a doctor, and we get news we weren't expecting. We get a phone call, and we've heard, we hear bad news over the phone. You're called into an office at work, and there's an announcement made that you weren't expecting. It may even just be as simple as getting trying to get up and get ready for church on Sunday morning. Before you know it, husband and wife, there's a conflict. You're in a battle. Different types of battles, different types of struggles, different situations which call us into a warfare that we never really asked for and probably haven't been prepared for. When Alan asked me to speak a few weeks ago, probably back at the end of June, I was quite surprised because it's one thing I've kind of struggled with since coming to this church, that uh, if you've noticed in the interviews and whenever Norman interviewed me last year, and it's a, a, a commonly asked question, where do you see yourself fitting? What do you see yourself doing? How you, what, what do you feel God's calling you to do in church? And for those of you that don't know, I come from um, 30 years of Christian in Elam, 20 years pastoring in Elam Church. And then you come into a church where the one thing that I could see that wasn't needed was another pastor. I'm sitting and thinking, you know, the preaching and teaching in the church that we have here, I don't know if you realize or have experience of elsewhere, but the preaching and teaching we have is second to none. We have top quality ministry in this church. So I'm sitting thinking, well, what am I going to do? So I'll make tea and I'll clean the floor and I'll stack chairs and I'll, I'll do what other little jobs I see that need to be done. And so I was surprised when Alan asked me to share. And yet I was intrigued when he told me what the theme was. And when he said it was going to be a theme on worship. And then when he gave me the title, I immediately thought on the fact that probably has been on continuous play on Apple Music, Lisa. I've had the, the Bethel Victory album has been on continuous play because you hear these new songs. You come to church on Sunday morning, you hear, I wonder where they got that song from. And you're never told. So that's like a secret amongst the people that stay up here. But Google's a great thing. You think, where, where did they get that from? And you Google it, and then you you find out there's an album there, and that's where they're getting all their stuff from. And uh, I've had the, the Bethel Victory album on continuous play. Songs like Raise a Hallelujah, The Goodness of God, Stand in Your Love. And when I studied what that album was all about, I realized that the inspiration from it, or for it, the inspiration for that album, came from the Old Testament battle of Jehoshaphat. And just a, a quote that I haven't got up on the screen, but it's from Holly Garth. And she said, worship is an act of war against the enemy of our hearts. And do you know something? All of the conflicts and battles and warfare that we have to wage in life, the difficulties that we come through, 
we have to know that behind it all, there's an enemy of our hearts who's there that puts these things in our paths to try and bring us down, to delay us in our way, to hold us back, to discourage us, and ultimately try and destroy us. But we come to worship. And in our worship, we are waging warfare against the enemy of our hearts. But this story of Jehoshaphat that inspired that album is in 1 Kings chapter 20. Let's see if I can work this thing. There we go. Shabak is our primary form of warfare. And 1 Kings 20, Jehoshaphat. And this morning, I have to admit, I haven't done this for a couple of years. From the church started back in November, beginning of December 2017. That was December 2017 was the last time I preached for Elam and handed my resignation in, in January and believing that God had called me to come and be part of here for whatever that meant. And so Alan said a couple of weeks ago, whenever he spoke, he said, I'm a bit nervous. He had it in his email. I sort of chuckled. He said, I'm a bit nervous. I haven't done this for a couple of weeks. And he thought, you're joking, aren't you? A couple of weeks. So bear with me as I struggle and warfare up here with the technology of PowerPoint and screens and clickers and all of these things. And come on a journey with me through some scriptures. I haven't it all clearly defined down to three points that you'll be able to quickly summarize and take home with you. And I'm just remembering I'll take my clock out so that I'll try and not run over time. And we hope to celebrate communion at the end. So maybe somebody needs to pull the plug if I ramble on too long. But Jehoshaphat, rather than read through the whole chapter, the story that I want to look at is a whole chapter long, and rather than read that, I've kind of summarized it. Jehoshaphat was king of Judah around 750 years before Jesus. And the story of Jehoshaphat is relatively short. It doesn't tell us a whole lot, except that he was doing a good job. He was ruling over Jerusalem, the time of the divided kingdom, Jerusalem being the capital of the, the southern kingdom of Judah. They're also being the northern kingdom of Israel. But Jehoshaphat was there. He was doing a good job. He was a noble king. He was doing it all well. The kingdom was experiencing relative peace. He was sat there on his throne doing what a king does, feeding well and enjoying the lifestyle. And then bad news came. So it's a bit like how I said our lives generally are. We'll identify with that. It's all going good and then bad news comes or something bad happens or a problem occurs. And the news that Jehoshaphat got was that there was the massed armies of several nations. Not just one objector, not just a small group of protesters standing with placards, but the massed armies of several nations were coming against Jerusalem. The word was that they're basically just over the hilltop. They're almost upon us. They've conspired against us. They've united their, their forces. They've combined their efforts, and we're facing ultimate destruction. And you can understand that fear struck the heart of Jehoshaphat, because that's our initial reaction to these situations. Fear grips our hearts. 
And Jehoshaphat was a good Christian fellow, and like us, it drove him to prayer. And that's what we do. We get something happens or the bad news comes, and we turn to the Lord. Lord, help. Lord, help. And then he, he thought, well, what, what can I do to solicit God's help? So he called a fast. And there was fasting right throughout the city. And then he stood before the people and he prayed. And in his prayer, he reminded God of all that God had done before. Of where God had previously helped them as a people. Of how God had blessed his, his rule and his reign. Of all the blessings of God. Do you know something? That can be good to do. And it sounds stupid, and I have sometimes thought of this, about reminding God as if God has forgot. As if God doesn't know what he's done. And we think we're going to go over a list of stuff and tell him what he's done and tell him how good he is and you're a great Lord because you did this, this, and this, and this. But the reality is that we're telling ourselves. So although we're praying it and we're saying it before God, we're telling ourselves, God has blessed us before. God has helped us before. God has brought us through things in the past. So Joshua remind, Jehoshaphat reminded himself and he reminded the people. And then on the back of that came a prophecy. A guy stood up and gave a prophetic word of what was going to happen in the situation. And then this prophecy drove them to worship. And so they went out into the wilderness. thought that was interesting that in the wilderness there's no distractions. It's so easy to get distracted in modern life. So much goes on around us. So much that's available to us. So much of the lives of others. And it reminded me of how often Jesus went out into the wilderness to pray. And he drew aside, he went up a mountain, he went out into the desert, he went where people couldn't get at him. And they went into the wilderness beyond distraction, and they focused not on their problems or their predicament. They chose to focus on God. They sang and they praised, and their enemies turned on themselves, and they destroyed each other. And you look at that and you think, wow, imagine that. All these vast armies gathered with all of their weapons, all of their tactics sussed out, how they were going to surround Jerusalem, how they were going to breach those city walls, how they were going to overthrow Jehoshaphat, and how they were going to plunder the city. They had it all worked out while the inhabitants of the city were sitting back, taking life easy. But they went and they worshipped God, and their predicament changed. In that story, we see something of worship in, in warfare. But then we we'll ask, what has our, our strange Hebrew word got to do with that? A strange word, Shabak. Looks like Shabak, but apparently it's pronounced Shabak. Not that I can speak Hebrew or anything like that. But Shabak. And again, strange, when I looked it up, it has two meanings. The first is to address in a loud tone, to give a loud adoration, a, a shout, a shout which is specifically loud. And I don't know if you can tell in my voice, but I've been practicing my shouting. 
Not for any good reason. I was away yesterday and spent the whole day shouting at sheep. And then realized that I had to come this morning and shout at sheep as well. So I'm doing battle with my voice up here. But I speak on and I praise on and I worship on and I trust that Lord, the Lord will get me through it. Then the second meaning is to pacify, to soothe, to still, to stroke, to silence. And I looked at that and I thought, how does that work? That doesn't make sense. Surely there's a contradiction there. Surely that means two entirely different things. And so here's a word that if you use it, well, what do you mean by it? But as I looked into it, as I studied through it, I realized that maybe there's not a contradiction. Maybe the two go hand in hand. I realized that usually when we shout, we're fueled by emotion, either anger or enthusiasm. We can all shout when we get cross. It's not difficult. Not that I'm a, a big follower of football, but I know plenty of fellas that they're good at shouting at the TV when the football's on. And yet, when it comes to shouting in a loud tone, addressing God in a loud tone, shouting our adoration, specifically loud, giving that loud shout of praise. Brona warned me last week, knowing what I was talking about, she says, don't ask us to shout, because it might nosedive. Shouting normally requires that we let go of self. That we release our self-consciousness. And that's why it sparks off the back of emotion or anger. Excitement. And we realize we're roaring it out before we've caught ourselves on. We realize that when we shout, it very quickly draws attention to us. Go out in the street and everybody's getting on about their own business up and down. They're busy with their lives. And you stand in the street and shout and people will turn to look. And then you realize, oh, I've drawn attention to myself. And it takes you a wee while, usually when that has happened, to wind down and get embarrassed about it and realize, what did I do there? I lost control. But I don't believe that's what this Shabak shout is. It's an intentional shout. It's a shout that instead of drawing attention to us, instead gives attention to God. It's a shout that declares, don't look at me, look to him. Look to him, worship him, praise him. It's a shout that comes out of a quiet, steady confidence in God, despite our circumstances. That there in the midst of the battle and the struggles of life, we shout unto the Lord, knowing that he is the victor. He is the one that gives us the victory. He is the one who has already overcome and gives us the ability to overcome in our problems. It's a shout that declares no matter how great the battle, our God's greater. Our God is always greater than the trials that we face. As we look to the Lord and as we shout unto him, he in turn pacifies, soothes, stills, and strokes and silences the battle that surrounds us. Michael W. Smith wrote a song with very simple lyrics. He said, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Yeah. 
And so often we feel that we're engulfed with the trials that we face, that the battle is swallowing us up. But we need to know that in the midst of that, no matter how we're surrounded, how the enemy is encamped all about, that we're surrounded by God. That song goes on to say, and it doesn't say a whole lot else, this is how I fight my battles. I fight my battles knowing that I'm surrounded by God. And you know, nothing confuses the enemy more than when we choose to look to God and worship him rather than looking at our problems and worrying about them. The enemy stands confused because what he had designed to distract turns us to God and he fails in his plans. One did it. Oh, well, died. Why don't you look at the words of this song too? I was intrigued too to hear Lisa talking about how she loves listening to worship and um, and the whole thing about singing. Well, uh, nobody's ever turned around Lisa and told me they should be in the worship team. <laughs> but I enjoy it all the same. I love to sing worship to God, even if it's down there in the cheap seats. I raise a hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder and louder and louder. You're going to hear my praises roar. That comes from the Bethel Victory album that I mentioned earlier. And that's what resonated in my heart whenever Alan asked me to speak on this subject. That's all I could think was, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. It comes to that Shabak shout, that shout of victory, that shout of praise. Why don't we sing louder and louder and let the devil hear our praises roar in total ignorance of him. We focus on God and choose to worship him instead. Let's go back to our story of Jehoshaphat and look at the, the prophecy that inspired them to worship. 2 Chronicles, 15, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 15 and 17. There's a wee bit in the middle I've missed out. But uh, it says, do not, <coughs> excuse me, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. The battle is not yours. Do you hear that? The battle is not yours. Whatever battle you're struggling with at the moment, whatever battle Stephen suggested that you might have left outside the door this morning, whatever battle has stayed with you, Trouble in your mind, even as you have come in this morning. Whatever the battle is, let me tell you, it's not yours. Do not be afraid. You have no need to fear. You don't need to fight. You don't need to worry. You don't need to struggle or react or do anything else. Position yourselves. There's a good Emmanuel word is posture. Posture yourselves. Posture yourselves in a Godward fashion. Look to him. 
Choose to focus on him. Stand still. In other words, don't run about like a headless chicken, which is what our, seems to be our default reaction to difficulties. Is to run about, wonder, what, do I go, do I, who does, I, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to sort her out, I, I know what I'm going to do. I, and we get all jittery and jumpy and distracted. And yet God says, stand still, focus on me, worship me, and I'll turn your situation right around. Look to God for his salvation. Jehoshaphat and his people could take confidence in this prophecy because what God has done before, he can always do again. And that's why, like the prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed that reminded him of the goodness of God, that's why it's good that we remind ourselves of the goodness of God in the past. That's why it's good to hear testimony and it's good to testify and talk about what God has done for us. How he has delivered us before, he can always deliver us again. Josh, Jehoshaphat, I'm sure, could look back in history and knowing the stories, knowing the teaching, he was able to look back and be mindful of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. Approximately 550 years before he was facing his crisis. Moses made a similar declaration at the crossing of the Red Sea. Moses stood before the Israelites. And as they were in panic and concern and their hearts were gripped by fear at this vast Egyptian army that was pursuing them as they fleed from captivity and slavery, Moses stood before them on the shores of the Red Sea and he said, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. Do you know that, that day at the crossing of the Red Sea when God parted the waters and the Israelites were able to flee through what seemed to be totally impossible? And the Egyptians followed them into the sea and the water engulfed them. Joshua was there. Joshua was there in the midst of that. Probably a child at the time. He then spent 40 years in the wilderness with Moses like an assistant or an accomplice. Or not an accomplice, apprentice, sorry. And uh, spent 40 years in learning training and instruction for the day when he would become the leader of the nation and take Moses' place. Joshua was there on that day and he witnessed the salvation of God in the seemingly impossible. And then all those years later, being mindful of that, he was able to say in Joshua chapter 23, the Lord your God is he who fights for you. Do you know, when we choose to fight our own battles, we elevate ourselves in our own importance. But when we choose to let God fight those battles, we acknowledge that, Lord, we're nothing. We're nothing without you, and we can achieve nothing without you. But, Lord, you are everything. See the salvation of the Lord. 
What salvation might the Lord accomplish for you today? Ask yourself, what salvation might the Lord accomplish for me today as I worship him? Sometimes we get hung up on the details of how do I worship? What do I say? Do I have to raise my hands? I like raising my hands. I do it quite a lot. But some people sort of, you know, maybe should have raised my hands. Should, I'll put them in my pockets. I get nervous about it. That business about shouting. As soon as I started talking about it this morning, I'm sure those people thought, oh, is he going to make me shout? But let me tell you something. God wants worshippers more than he wants worship. And we sometimes get caught up in the nitty-gritty of how do I worship? Do I need to sing out loud? Do I need to be a good singer? Do I have to put my hands in the air? To, oh, I hope they don't start dancing. Oh, shouting. Everybody will be looking at me. And we get worried about the bits. And all God is concerned about is that we're focused on him. God wants worshippers. How does that work? Let me be honest with you this morning. I need to be around the people of God. I need to come here on Sunday. I need to drink coffee and fellowship with you guys. I need to hear the encouragement of God's word. I need to come here and be led by gifted musicians. Because when I try to worship at home, it doesn't, doesn't do the same. It doesn't work the same. It doesn't sound as great. There was one Sunday night a while back, uh, this whole live streaming business and internets and all the rest. And I was sitting at home and I got the iPad out and there was a baptism going on over in Lurgan. And I was watching the baptism on my iPad in the living room. I had a, had a cup of tea in my hand and I had the buns out. And I thought, you know, this is, this is comfy, this is great. I thought, okay, I'll just stay here. I'll not bother going over to Lurgan tonight. I'll just stay here. And then the thought that gripped me was, Nah, the worship's never the same. Doesn't quite work when I stand up in my living room in front of the iPad and start raising my hands. And Vivian might hear me from another room, and it's not good. So I got up and I went to Lurgan. Because I needed to be there. I can't really understand people that say that they're, they've been a Christian for 50 years and the church that they go to is God TV. I can enjoy some of the stuff that's on there, but I can't do with just that. I need to have gifted musicians and singers that enable me to sing and praise and worship my God. Because it's all meant to be something that we do together. All of this, all of this that happens here, Sunday by Sunday or Wednesday nights when they're on or whatever other occasions we might meet, all of this lifts me up and beyond the circumstances of my everyday life. And it fixes my gaze on him who is the only one that really matters. Now, you're familiar with getting quotes. I'm going to quote somebody that you should know. One of the boys in Alan puts up here, I'm wondering who they are. But uh, this thing keeps down on me. Chris Leach. Anybody know him? The encounter, he put this in his email last week that he sent out at the weekend. 
The encounter in worship brings the reality of heaven into our everyday lives. It's worth reading your emails sometimes. Bringing hope, perspective, and the love of the Father into our circumstances. It speaks a better word than the noise and chaos of the world. Isn't that brilliant? We need the reality of heaven in our lives, in our situations, in the good and in the bad, no matter what life experiences we have, we need the reality of heaven in the midst of all of those experiences. We need God's hope. We need God's perspective. We need always to know the love of the Father and to know that better word. And yet as much as I need all of this, it's not about me. I'm not the best Christian here. I'm not even nearly the best Christian here. Ask Vivian afterwards. She has to live with me. Do you know something? I mess up regularly. I have attitudes that I shouldn't. Say confession's good for the soul. I get impatient. I can lose my cool and say things that I shouldn't say. But you know something? All of that encourages me towards the one who is everything. To know that, Lord, I'm a failure. But, Lord, you're not. That's why I love King David. When I read the stories of King David, I see someone who blew it time and time and time again. And yet we're told that he was a friend of God, that he had a heart after God. Because he knew the secret. Read through all of the Psalms. and David knew the secret of coming to God and saying, Lord, it's not about me, but it's about you. Let's go back again to a quote that Alan used a few weeks back. Anne Lamott said, I live for Sundays. It's like going to the spiritual gas station to fill up on fuel, clean the dirty windshield and the mirrors. I usually show up nuts, self-obsessed, vaguely agitated, and I am at once reminded not of who I am, but whose I am. As the Apostle Paul put it, I am not my own. I was bought at a price. Let's quickly go back to our Jehoshaphat story. In that story, all of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord. All of Jerusalem worshipped the Lord. It was corporate. It was focused on God. They did it together. It wasn't just Jehoshaphat in his throne room, but he gathered the people, and he got them all involved. It says singers were appointed to lead the others in praising the beauty of holiness. Singers were appointed, musicians were appointed to lead the people. And I know that practically it's a good thing that the musicians have to be up here at the front and we look at the front and look at the screen. But you know something, I love it on a Wednesday night whenever the worship team gets in the middle and they face inwards. And it takes away from that sort of concept of the world of a, a band at the front performing. Because they have their backs to us. 
And I get more of that sense of following them, that they're leading us in worship, and that God is the focus. Not how good a singer someone is or how great a musician someone else might be, but that God is the focus. And that they skillfully lead us in those words of worship and of praise. It says they praise the Lord God with voices loud and high. Shabbat. They sang praise the Lord for his mercies. His mercy endures forever and ever. When they began to sing, their enemies were defeated. Notice that it says, you can take my summary of it, check it out if you want, look it up, but when they began to sing, when they began to sing, their enemies were defeated. They didn't have to worship for two hours, three hours, four hours. There was no time limit put on it that they had to persevere for a certain period of time. But when they began, their enemies were defeated at the beginning, not at the end. Psalm 8, verse 2, says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence Shabak, the enemy and the avenger. And Jesus referred to this psalm in Matthew chapter 21 when he cleansed the temple. On that occasion when he went in and threw over the tables and chucked out the money changers and all of that. He was challenged by the, the scribes and the priests. And he quoted this psalm. But it's interesting that uh, he didn't quote it as it's read there. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence or show back the enemy and the avenger. How did Jesus quote it? Jesus said this. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? And it almost seems like he's quoted it wrong. But yet here we have the essence of that double meaning of the word Shabak. This perfected praise is what shuts the mouth of the enemy and the avenger. It's ordained strength. How is our praise perfected? Well, our grandkids are a wee bit older now. But a couple of years back, they were younger. They lived up north in Ballykelly. We are down here in Portadown, two hours between us, roughly. You had to make do with telephone conversations. And you know, over the phone, sometimes kids can be difficult to understand. Their speech can be broken. They get distracted. They start telling you something, and then they wander off to get something to show you. And it's hard following the flow. Do you know something, when I listen to them, I might not have caught everything that they said. But my heart caught the truth, the essence, and the heart of what they were saying. Their words came from my ears to my head via my heart. And my heart perfected it. God hears our hearts more than he listens to our words. It's not so much about our words or our actions as our posture towards him. Remember, God wants worshippers more than he wants their worship. 
2004, there was a movie called Inside, I'm Dancing. It was about two disabled characters. One fellow who had a speech difficulty, a severe speech difficulty, and another fellow who was wheelchair dependent. And they went to, part of the story was they went to a nightclub and inside they were dancing. I might come here Sunday by Sunday and not roar and shout hallelujah and amen. But when it comes to that comes to declaring the, the statements in the songs that we sing, looking at those words and singing them with passion and with meaning and with conviction, inside I'm shouting. I may not have to yell out, praise the Lord, but when I sing the words of the songs, inside I'm shouting. Inside I'm shouting, and God knows, sees, and hears my heart. This morning as a quickly wind us down and we're prepared to come around the Lord's table in celebration of communion. I want, to, I want you to picture that single greatest act in all of history. The crucifixion of Jesus. I want you to picture him there on the cross. Arms outstretched. ever think of that when we raise our hands? Arms outstretched like Jesus on the cross. I want you to see him with his hands raised in the greatest proclamation of freedom ever. Yada. I want you to see him with his arms outstretched in the greatest act of faith ever. Toda. I wonder in your imagination, as you picture it and see those images, I wonder, can you hear him as he cries out in a loud voice of triumph and victory, Shabbat. What did he shout? This is the word that he declared, Tetelestai. So I've jumped from the Hebrew to the Greek, Tetelestai, which meant it is finished, it is paid in full. John records those words in his gospel, but Mark tells us that Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Shabbat. It is finished. It is paid in full. It is because of Christ's finished work of Calvary that we can Shabbat this morning. We can give a loud shout of praise that erupts from our hearts, that bursts from our mouths, as we gaze not at the battles of our lives, but at the one who has finished it all and paid it all in full so that we might be truly free. So I'm just asking the worship team to come forward now. Lead us as we come around the table. I want you to continue with that image in your mind of Jesus achieving that victory there with his arms outstretched. Yada, Toda, Shabak. And this morning, we're able to do all of those things because he has gone before. He has done them, and he enables us, fights the battles for us, and wins the victory on our behalf. Bless you, and thank you.